It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings from the Ambiguously Blind studio. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting our podcast experience. As you well know about this time in the episode, I mention ways to support the podcast, and oftentimes it's through the merch store where you can get your very own tremendous tea or mug or bumper sticker or all kinds of different swag. But the guys I'm going to talk to today, the Manning Brothers, have taken merch to a new level. They're better known as the Two Blind Brothers, and I want to talk to them about their upbringing with Stargard's disease, about the brotherly bond that they have, and how a simple department store trip turned into the enterprise that is now the Two Blind Brothers. So I'm not sure who to introduce first, if it's Brad and Brian or Brian and Brad, but either way, guys, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Uh, it is great, and you can't leave those that, that door open for us to fight over who gets to say hello first. Otherwise, uh, punches get thrown, and it just makes the podcast that much more difficult. Okay, well, let's try to keep it clean. Oh, come on. Why not have a little bit of fun with it? You don't want to just hear verbal abuse for the next 45 minutes? Uh, well, if that's what you want to do, and uh, if that was to make what makes you guys uh, makes your world go around, then I guess we'll do... <laughs> We can do that. I appreciate you guys uh, stopping by to uh, to visit with us. Yeah, we're we're, we're so grateful and th- thanks for having us. I typically like to start all the podcasts just by telling, having you tell us a little bit about your vision, um, kind of what the condition is that caused your vision loss, and what your acuity is. Just kind of in general, what what do you guys see? Yeah, so I will uh, I will take this. This is uh, Brian, the younger, more fun brother. Uh, so Brad and I have a inherited retinal disease called Stargardt's disease, and uh, Stargardt's is a juvenile form of macular degeneration. And basically, what happens over uh, the course of you know many years is the cells in the center of your vision. Uh, die because we have a we have a problem metabolizing vitamin A, and so what happens is kind of the, the center of our vision disappears, but we keep a lot of our peripheral vision. Uh, you know, so so Brad and I have uh, a really hard time, you know, recognizing people, reading small print, you know, driving was out of the question, doing detailed work. Uh, however, we have a we're we're pretty good at mobility, and our vision acuity is about 2400 uh but you know i haven't uh, once you stop being able to see the big e at the top uh they they seem to stop counting a little bit yeah i can relate to that and also 2400 to you means something different than somebody else that has 2400 so there is quite a spectrum of what you can actually what what kind of usable vision you have at that at that uh, acuity right yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brad and I, Brad and I, Brad and I all the time, it, it'll be really, really funny. We'll both, one of us will say, oh, do you see that? And I, you know, Brad and I might be competitive, but I think I have a little better vision than him. I'm not saying, you know, it just, <laughs> it, it feels right to say that. Uh, but it's, but, but, you know, in weird situations, Brad will be like, oh, do you see that thing over there? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And just out of, out of nowhere, he'll see something that I can't, you know, even though our, my vision acuity might be a little better than his, he can see things that I can, which is just uh, these eye diseases. Once you start getting down the spectrum a little bit, get, uh, get a, a bit more ambiguous every yeah. time. Ding. I like it. Ambiguous. Good choice of words there. 
So what about for like mobility and things? How do you guys get around? Uh, no driving, of course, but like do you use a white cane or do you have a service dog or do you just wing it? We, you know, we, in throughout not just mobility, but probably all of our life, we do a lot of winging it. Um, but we don't, we don't have it. We don't have a cane um, or a service dog for sort of like navigating uh, New York where, where I live and now Charlottesville where, where Brian lives. Um, but we, we get a lot of help uh, from friends or wives. We love you uh, asking strangers when we need to figure figure something out. It was actually part of the inspiration for for our shop line challenge. This this idea of sort of trusting the people around you to sort of give you independence in sort of an ironic way. Um, so so yeah, we we use our a lot of our assistive technologies really in our phones and in our uh, MacBooks. We're big fans of the Apple products, vo uh, voice over text to speech. Uh, the triple tap zoom. We're, we're big fans of all of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way as far as the technology stuff goes. Uh, I don't use a cane or a dog either. So that's why, I mean, you might even say that you would be ambiguously blind. So somebody walking near you or by you or interacting with you in person wouldn't necessarily detect that there was any, uh, difference with your vision. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because I, I worked in an office with, um, when I was young, when I was really young with somebody who was, who was, uh, totally blind. And it was the first time that I really appreciated sort of some of the, the differences and experiences. I obviously with the functional vision, you're, you, you have access to certain things, but one kind of fascinating piece was the fact that you know, a lot of people would mis misinterpret <laughs> me having perfect eyesight until they, you know, saw me, you know, trying to look at my phone or fill out some form that I couldn't fill out. Um, but uh, but yeah, de it definitely presents its own its own uh, interesting situations. So when did Stargardt's become known to you guys? At what age was that? And is it coincidental that you both have it or is there some sort of genetic thing that happens with siblings. I, I, I can answer that. Uh, and, and again, this is Brad. I'm, I'm f about five years older than Brian. And if you could see us, you'd be able to tell. I'm not, you know, <laughs> Brad, Brad's doing great, but uh, it, it shows. It, I think it's mostly just five extra years in New York City. I mean, it can really. It can really <laughs> <hurt> you. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, I failed the kindergarten eye chart. And so they knew something was up, but it took a long time to diagnose the eye condition. Um, you know, lots of wrong diagnoses, lots of specialists speculating and, uh, and not really knowing what was going on. It wasn't until two years after, you know, trying to figure it out that we were in this one doctor's office with my mom and they did this test. Uh, at that time, they didn't have genetic testing. They did a test called a flangioangiogram, which dyes your blood. And then they look at your retinas and can see the scar tissue because of the, the different coloration in your blood. And so that at that point, they knew that I had Stargardt's disease. Okay. So that puts you around age seven, which would put... Um... Brian around age two. Is that about right? So I was diagnosed, uh, I was diagnosed five years after Brad. So I was diagnosed, you know, oh, because wow. I'm five years younger, I was diagnosed about yeah. age, age five to seven as well. And is there some sort of like, is that a genetic thing? 
um, with that type of thing happening. And do you guys have any other siblings? Yes, we have a uh, we have a sister who is our middle sister who is not does not have Stargardt's, but our our parents were both recessive carriers of the disease, and you know Brad and I each had a one in four chance at having it, and we just happened to roll the dice lucky to uh, to get Stargardt's, yeah. and uh, but. You know, it's nowhere on either side of our family all the way up as far as we can tell. Wow, that's interesting. And you've mentioned uh, your mom. I would imagine your family, your mom and your parents and maybe your sister even played a pretty big role in kind of growing up with those different challenges than what most of the kids your age were doing. You know, we we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about that because one of the greatest things about running the two blind brothers project is that we've been able to sort of interact with all types of people throughout the community, lots of different eye conditions and equally a lot of different perspectives on those eye conditions. And we, our parents um, always instilled in us this um, attitude of embracing challenges and they really kind of relegated our eyesight to a to a, to a to what a minor challenge. They they'd say things like, you know, well, your friend James has big ears. Your friend John is short. You know, so and so's not as smart as you, and you've got some bad eyesight. It's it's sort of all the same, and you know, we could never use our eyesight as an excuse um, for anything. So if we didn't do well on a test and maybe that first couple times we were inclined to say, well, I, I couldn't see, I couldn't see the reading material that well, or, you know, it was taking me longer because it was taking me longer to, to, to do the test. And I thought it would, you know, our, our, our mom would particularly our mom would, would be pretty tough and say, did you do it because did you do badly because you couldn't see it or because you didn't study enough? Because if it's because you didn't, uh, you couldn't see it, then that means we're going to go meet with the teacher, talk about new accommodations. We're going to, ha you know, get even extra time for the, I mean, she would kind of make you realize that uh, you were uh, full of baloney, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so she, she, she really kind of, um, kept this spirit of, it doesn't matter what your situation is, you will be held to the same standard or a higher standard, uh, irregardless. Yeah. And you guys are happy with the way that turned out, huh? Besides the emotional scarring, a hundred percent. You know, they're, they're, yeah, I think, I think, well, the thing is, is we've met people who have the opposite um, kind of upbringing, whose parents mm -hmm. really tried as hard as they could to, you know, help their kids not avoid those awkward situations, avoid those tough moments, put them in a situations where they would always succeed. And th that inclination intuitively makes a lot of sense. But, you know, after kind of having the opportunity to get to know a lot of those folks, I think that we're grateful to have the upbringing that we had because um, it, it, we never let the vision impairment become a, a psychological impairment. And do you think that the, the fact that you guys are brothers and kind of going through similar experiences, uh, albeit different ages, I guess, but do you kind of have like the buddy system going on? Did that, was that a factor in it too? 
Absolutely. You know, uh, we are such sure I'm such a giant believer in this idea that if you see somebody accomplish something, it makes it more likely and more you, you, you can see yourself in that role. You can see yourself doing it. And Brad and I are extraordinarily competitive with one another. And so whenever I would see Brad do something, play that sport, go to that hard class, get into that great school, do, you know, do that, do drive the car. I was like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it even better. And I'm going to do it even bigger. And I'm going to do it more than anybody's ever done it before, just because I wanted to outcompete Brad. And because I knew it was possible, I was so excited to do it. And, you know, once we started Two Blind Brothers, I got to just outcompete Brad every day for like six years. <laughs> it's been just awesome, you know? And, you know, but, yeah. but no, I, no I, and we try and do that as no much comment. as we can with. Uh, yeah, 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 keep your comments down. Uh, no, I, I, we try and do that as much as we can with Two Blind Brothers because, you know, we want, and the same thing you're doing with this this podcast, we want one of the listeners out there to say, oh, shoot, these guys run this business. I probably could start my own business. Or this guy's running this awesome podcast. I might be able to do that too and, and feel that self-sufficiency, feel that drive, feel that motivation to go achieve because if you look at some of the most successful blind folks, they're – they're billionaires or they've climbed the tallest peaks in the world or they're awesome giant influencers on the internet. And, and, and I think, you know, leaning into that and absolutely thriving is just amazing. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I think you, uh, I think the term leaning in is, is really what is really the best way to, to approach it. You can't really tiptoe around it. Totally. Yeah, you, you, it has to be a part of, you know, you, you just you have to you know embrace, embrace your challenges to the best of your ability. I want to talk a little bit about the foundation fighting blindness. I'm not sure. I think that came before Two Blind Brothers was a thing or maybe not. Which which came first? I love that you don't know because it makes us sound uh, really prominent. But the foundation fighting blindness has actually been around. They're celebrating their 50 year anniversary this uh september and they basically um helped pioneer the whole field of uh eye research retinal eye research um i think actually the year they were founded was either within one year of when the national eye institute um was uh was founded as well and and, and essentially what they do is they fund all the preclinical research to look for treatments, preventions, and, ki- and cures for retinal eye disease. They, they, they have a lot. Right now, if anyone's actually paying attention to the science out there, we're, we're living through a medical revolution with gene therapies and stem cell therapies, all, you know, gene editing. Um, and, and they've been able to celebrate a lot of successes. I think one of the um, more amazing ones was about two years ago when Spark Therapeutics got their gene therapy Luxterna approved, which is a gene therapy that treats um, uh, a a form of Labor's congenital amaurosis, the RPE65 um, gene. And and it's just, it's been really exciting. It's, It's an organization we were involved with as kids through our parents, and it's, it's where we donate the profits of Two Blind Brothers to. Yeah, so you guys were aware of the foundation. Were you getting assistance from them, or were you, like, being seen by them, or, or like, how, how were you connected with the foundation? 
growing just up. through just through events and and um, just through events and fundraising and following research and clinical trials um you, you you know they they don't folk i mean there are a lot of great organizations that do this but they don't focus on uh, on services per se uh you know we we were just always a, a family that was really interested in the science and the and the innovation in the space and so uh, we knew them through through that regard. I mean, some of the doctors we we'd see obviously were may have been you know FFB funded and uh, when they were researchers. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that that's how we were familiar with them. We had done walkathons um, and things like that as kids as well. Yeah. Okay. So then one day, uh, this is kind of the two blind brothers start where where you have literally have two blind brothers that decide, hey, we should uh, maybe do something together and uh, start selling clothes or something. And maybe we should give all of our profits to the foundation fighting blindness. Walk me through how that process started. Yeah. So Brad and I were actually walking around New York city. Uh, Brad told me in, un in no uncertain terms when I first moved to the city that he wouldn't hang out with me because I was a terrible dresser. And I think, the word he used was an embarrassment. I, I'm not 100% on the exact verbiage. Uh, but we ended up walking into a Bloomingdale's of all places. And we were really excited because we were talking about a young man uh, who you may have heard of named Yannick Duet, who was treated with uh, the drug from Spark Therapeutics for laborers congenital amaurosis, who, you know, was... Born, you know, went blind at an early age and a little. And then after this one injection of this drug, went from blind to sighted, which we thought was basically magic. And this was all from a donation for, in 1996 by FFB to uh, this amazing, amazing researcher. And so we walk into this Bloomingdale's talking about this thing, kind of excited about the world we lived in. And, you know, it, 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 you've obviously been shopping and Brad and I just believe that shopping is such a pain in the behind because we can't see the prices, the sizes, the labels, if it's a men's shirt or not. Uh, so mm -hmm. we run around like we're five years old and we touch everything just, you know, and we because we're feeling for quality because doing all the research is super annoying. And on this absolutely fateful day, Brad and I walked out actually buying the exact same shirt. And we kind of hmm. were asking ourselves, okay, why did this happen? What, what was the, the impetus for this? And we finally realized that it was because of that quality, because of out of those thousands of garments, this one felt the best. And so we then struck upon our idea, well, let's make the best fitting and feeling clothing in the world and donate 100% of the profits back to these treatments like that cured Yannick uh, to, to try and find the next batch of researchers to find cures for blindness. And that's when uh, Two Blind Brothers was officially founded. Yeah, interesting. So up to that point, you guys were both doing whatever you were doing. You had other jobs or other things you were doing and this wasn't on the radar until you stopped in the store, huh? Well, I mean, just to give you context, Brad and I had zero background in fashion, zero background in marketing, zero background in branding, basically zero background in anything helpful uh, to starting a clothing project. <laughs> but we always started this with just so little aspirations. You know, we just wanted to make some shirts, raise some money, raise some awareness. And that was our, our, our main goals the whole way through. 
And I think also maybe the focus was on the quality or the softness of the garment. Was that, is that key to you guys too? Yeah. I mean, that was always very, very important to Brian and I, I mean, I, th I think people actually have this kind of myth about people uh, um, who have vision impairments or are blind that they have like superpowers in their fingertips. I, I think the way Brian and Brian and I describe it is just that you just pay more attention and get more information from the senses you do have because you have to rely, you just rely on them more. Um, so we, mm -hmm. we, we always really, really appreciated like these awesome feeling shirts, super soft, super breathable. And uh, when we were starting the, the business and making that first run of shirts, we, we first had to order fabrics from all these fabric mills, uh, actually all over the world. And we would sit with these books and like, feel these soft fabrics one by one trying to figure out what we wanted to make our first run of shirts out of and it, it was a lot of fun and we ended up with something that that actually has, has served us quite well you still using kind of the same thing it, now actually actually 100 percent, yes i mean it, it was uh it, it's a tri-blend it's a it's a uh it's a it, it's a 66 percent viscose bamboo uh, which is super, super soft. Bamboo is great because it doesn't have, it has longer tie points. It has less friction. There's less friction in the fabric. But if you make a, a shirt 100% out of bamboo, it can be very kind of drapey. And so 27% uh, is cotton. It helps hold the shirt together, helps it maintain over, you know, 100 washes, 100 wears. And then it is 7% Lycra or spandex, um, which lets it move with you and gives it some of that stretch. So it, it's been, uh, it, it's, it's, it's worked really, really well with us for us. A lot of people advised us against it early on because it was, um, it's expensive. A lot of, a lot of brands that could otherwise make super soft items uh, will choose different fabrics because they save a lot of money by getting something kind of similar. Um, but we were, we were probably too dumb to know better. And it's actually been, it's been something that's let us kind of separate ourselves from, from a lot of other clothing brands. Okay. So you get the fabric, you got the first run of shirts going and things are probably okay. I mean, you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, you admittedly have zero sense of fashion <laughs> and you're selling shirts. So like walk me through the process. How does, did you end up on a TV show or something? Did I hear that? Yeah. So Brad and I got really fortunate. So we decided we, we, we solicited these fabrics from all over the world. And we, we found the one that we, we loved the most. And we, we ended up finding this cut and sew in New York city uh, in Manhattan. So you can imagine the shirts were made as cost effectively as possible uh, after they had to pay their rent. And the one, and then we, we made this, well, actually I wouldn't say we, Brad made this website. I'm not going to say the platform, but it, it was a dumpster fire. It looked like the place you went to go get a virus. Uh, and we, but you know, he put his heart and soul into it. So I give him a lot of congratulations. I think he did a great, great job making something, you know, sounds like fine. I know, yeah. uh, but he, 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 he tried really hard. So we end up making this website and then we try and force our friends and family to buy shirts, which I would of never, yeah. never recommend for anyone. 
and and you know and so then one thing that we had that worked that we, that we were really grateful for is our good friend who is a Starbucks barista by day and a videographer by night kind of like a poor man's batman if you will he uh he made a video about Brad and I uh where we just kind of talked about being brothers about this eye disease about our passion to cure blindness and about these soft shirts and we put it out on Facebook just with no real aspirations, but, you know, thought it was a great piece of content and it just happened to blow up, happened to go viral. And we ended up going through a few news organizations. And then one day uh, on January 4th of 2017, we had the great fortune of being on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen that. And how did that come about? Did they, did they contact you guys? For oh that? my gosh. I'm, I mean, at the very end of this anecdote is going to end with me complimenting Brian. So, you know, just be prepared that he may have a oh, first time in a decade. Can't wait. Um, but so we were selling a few shirts. I think, I mean, I mean, this was a small nights and weekends kind of project for us. And we get a call on our customer service line and there was one is a, a, a girl who was um, assisting me in my other uh, job uh, had the customer service coming to her, which would be like one call a week. She picks up the phone. She has her hand over her mouth and she's like, OK, OK, I'll I'll, I'll forward on your message to the brothers. And I thought a customer was like yelling at her. Uh, but it actually she she puts the phone down and says that was a producer from the Ellen DeGeneres show. They had seen a news article by the social media website called Now This that did a story on us. And uh, so we set up a call with the producer. And basically, I was nervous that we were going to really have to prove that we were this very credible, very serious business. And so I put together this whole diligence questionnaire of answers so that we would have everything ready to go uh, when we were doing this call. Brian at the time comes home, he was doing sales for a data company. So we had to kind of call in sick to work to make this phone call work. And we come home, the producer answers the uh, calls us and says, Hey guys, how's it going? And as the older brother, I'm pl planning on taking the entirety of this call Brian screams over my shoulder into the phone. Her name was Courtney, by the way. He says, Courtney, it's sweater weather in New York City. Those bad boys went away last May. Now it's October, so I unleash them. So as you might imagine, I am doing amazing. And I was like, <laughs> I... I I was absolutely speechless. The phone is dead silent. All of a sudden, I hear what sounds like a choking noise on the other line, but it was actually Courtney laughing. And so at, from that, I stepped away. I let Brian handle the rest of the phone call. It was a lot. The ice was yeah, broken. It was, yeah. it was a lot more nonsense like that. And at, at, in a few minutes later, she says, Okay, okay, I need to forward this on to my senior producer. And I guess a few weeks after that, they uh, they, they, they booked us uh, to come on the show. And, and 
that in itself was a pretty, you know, scary experience. But uh, but that but that but that put a national spotlight on Two Blind Brothers, and and more than anything, it kind of transferred the spirit of what we were doing. We, we really started Two Blind Brothers to have fun and do something nice for the Foundation Fighting Blindness. That moment turned our passion into a sense of responsibility and maybe even obligation at some level. It's just so rare in life to get that kind of attention on something you're so passionate about that does does good. And so we thought we need to we need we we owe it to this experience to really run at this as hard as we can. Yeah, and it sounds like the your personalities really came out uh, on the show too, which I think does a lot for the brand too, right? Yeah, it's actually so funny because when we started this brand, you know, if you ask any branding agency or professionals about this, you know, they're like, what are your core, what are your core messages? What, what are you, what demographics are you speaking to? Who exactly is your customer? You know, what, what language do you avoid? And Brad and I, from our own naivete uh, early on just said, this is just going to be us. I mean, if we're going to call it two blind brothers and we're going to be the people that speak for it, it's going to be who we are that day. And so, and so we just put out our own personalities and our own troubles and tribulations and successes and everything that we can as, as the brand. And that is our messaging. Cause if we were trying to force ourselves or, or fit our message into a box or anything, it just, wouldn't resonate because we we both just believe so strongly that authenticity and this this idea of being exactly who you are as a brand is just so vitally important and you see a lot of these big big brands trying to do it but they just are getting out competed by little brands that can be so niche and so focused and speak to people on such a one-to-one level okay so we've talked a little bit about the clothes themselves you mentioned earlier the shop blind challenge, which I did that a couple of weeks ago, and I'm happy to report that I'm actually wearing the contents of the box that I got. <gasps> so I don't, I don't know if it's if I'm allowed to say what I'm wearing or not. Actually, I should say that I am wearing clothes, of course, um, for the purposes of this conversation. I, I assume that you guys are also, um, but I'm actually wearing. I've been wearing the uh, the contents of the box uh, most of the day to get in the. To gain the mindset of this, and I, I got to tell you, they are extremely. It is very soft. They're extremely comfortable, and I certainly wouldn't want to get a roundhouse kick from a guy wearing a pair of shorts like. <laughs> well, you know, if you get the the, the Napoleon Dynamite reference, well, there, you know, you know. So you, it, we never mind people uh, sharing what they got because we do change it up quite a lot, quite frequently. So sometimes people will go online and they'll try to you know, search what shows up. I mean, they can get a good sense for the type of thing that comes, but, um, but we change it up every, about every three weeks. Um, but, um, but yeah, so the shop line challenge, I guess I'll, I'll describe it. The, uh, Brian and I with two blind brothers, we're always sort of experimenting with different things. You know, we, we grow the business a lot through social media, particularly, you know, some advertising on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, And, What's so cool about that is you get this kind of like real-time feedback. You can come up with a message, put it out there, see how people sort of respond to it. And one of the things that we tried was this shop blind idea. We were talking about how 
you know, it, it's sort of an ironic way of thinking about it. But one of the greatest tools that we've used uh, is putting trust in others, especially strangers. So if we can't navigate a clothing store and see all the sizes, we might turn to the salesperson or even the person next to us and say, hey, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? Or what do you, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, we might be at a restaurant instead of, you know, zooming in to enlarge a menu or asking for a braille menu. We might turn to the waiter or the person at the table next to us and say, hey, what do you recommend? And just these little acts of trust actually give you a great amount of independence if you're willing to just assert yourself with, with a stranger. And, and so we thought, well, can we create this experience for our customers? What if we took down all the product images, all the descriptions, all the information, period, and just had a price point and a question, will you shop blind? And uh, it was amazing. Pe people, I think they really appreciated the, the novelty of it. Um, I think they also appreciate that, that all the profits, you know, go back to charity. And, um, and, and it was really kind of transformational for us because it, it allowed us to, to, to grow really quickly. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept. And as a, as a fellow blind guy, you do have to rely on other people and other things um, pretty regularly. So it seemed um, pretty natural. So I'm, I'm go to your website and there's three price points. And the most expensive one has a little circle going around it. And it's moving and it took me a little while to figure out what it said because I had to zoom in and I was like, wait a minute, that's a, that's what letters and it says, trust us. It says, what's it say? Like trust us. It's worth it or something. like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's so, I'm so glad you mentioned that because we did, we're always trying to figure out how to draw people to, to the higher tier, yeah. the, to spend more money. Sure. And so I love that. I love that that got you to focus on that. That's so funny. Sales 101. Yeah, that's that's right. right. So, um, I did it. That's the one I went with. And uh, it oh, worked. That's great. Well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, it's been really special. And, you know, people will ask us about, you know, some things about it. And there's been a couple of blessings that have come out of it. One is people will um, like film their reaction and like, especially on TikTok, they'll post themselves unboxing the product, which is amazing because one, they their their audience will 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 see it and, and obviously that helps the, the the project but also they'll share their connection to the cause i mean i think one of the things that struck brian and i is that 11 million people in the u.s have just retinal retinal eye disease that not not including other forms of blindness and so a lot now a lot of that are you know parents or grandparents with like macular degeneration but but, you know, everyone knows somebody who has had, you know, visual challenges. And I think one of the things that, that we didn't realize we were tapping into is, is just the connection that people feel to that. And so to hear the stories has been really inspiring and kind of it reminds us about why we were doing what we're doing. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is people will say, well, you know what, what the shop line, it, you know, it's a great campaign, you know, but, you know, what, what do you hope people get out of it? And, and it's funny, we, we actually say it's really not as much about blindness as it is about trust. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like we're very lucky 
to have some of the best customers in the world because the customer that is willing to buy something with <laughs> literally no information and with just knowing that they're, you know, uh, that, that, that the profits are going to, to a cause and they're trying and they're, you know, bringing exposure to a community that we care a lot about. I mean, th th those people are very important to us. And so it, it's, it's helped us kind of filter for the best, best customers that anyone could ask for. Something else that I got from you guys was a pair of sunglasses, the Cavalier. Is that something, is that new for you guys or have you had those for a while? The, the Cavalier sunglasses are awesome. Brad and I, you know, uh, I lose sunglasses like maybe it's my job. I, I've lost more pairs of sunglasses than I think most people have ever had in their entire lives. And yeah, so I can directly, directly relate to that. Yeah. And, and there's always this terrible dilemma because, uh, you know, sun protection for your eyes is, is, is one of the best ways to slow the progression of an eye disease for people with a retinal eye disease, as well as just people in general, not wearing, you know, good quality sunglasses really can hurt your eyes later in life. And yeah, just general protection for anybody's eyes. Yeah. You know, just Joe walking down the street, not wearing sunglasses is going to affect your eyes later in life. You know, you're, you're getting a sunburn on your eyes and you know, Brad and I really wanted to find a way to, to prevent that or wanted to help that because either you buy, spend all the money to get the nice pair and then lose them. And now you have to make the decision. Do I get a nice pair again or do I just forego it for a little while and just deal with the damage? So we partnered with Industries for the Blind in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who employs 70% visually impaired workers, as well as some of the top sunglass lens experts on the planet to make these profoundly amazing glasses that are polarized, 100% UVA, UVB protected, mirror coating on the front. We went so far as to put a matte coating on the inside of the lens for when the sun's behind you so it doesn't reflect back into your eyes. And we, and we made them super lightweight. We put a ton of tech into these things. And then we said, hey, well, we don't want to. So then we, we, then we said, we're going to make a warranty program. That if you break them, if you shatter them, if your dog eats them, or more importantly, if you lose them, we're going to send you a new pair for, for 25 bucks so that no one ever needs to go or make that tough decision between their wallet and their eye health. And, and they've been just such an amazing, amazing product for us. And we're, we're, we're incredibly proud of them. Yeah, I'm real excited about them. I'm wearing them right now. Again, I you, I can't prove that, but just believe me. That's we're trusting each other, here, right? So, <laughs> um, but um, I I'm the same way with glasses. Glasses are extremely important to me. Obviously, there's the protection from the sun. Um, there's also just when I'm walking, I tend to walk into things not not like walls, but like tree limbs and other things that might be in my way that that I don't see. So I wear them for just protective protection from impact. Um, but mostly I wear them because when I come into and out of a different lighting situation, low to high or high to low lighting, it takes a while for my eye to adjust. Mm. And I like literally just stop for 10 seconds. I just got to stop walking or stop moving. And so there are, are I, I can't tell you rare is it that I don't have them on when I'm outside of the house or outside of a, a fixed lighting environment. So, 
Um, I go through glasses. I've been through countless pairs of glasses. And I, as, as important as they are to me, you'd think I'd take really good care of them. And, and generally, I take pretty good care of them, but I don't. I throw them around. They get tossed here and there. I look for I lose them in the house. I lose them wherever I'm going. I forget where I put them. And so um, I certainly appreciate the uh, the guarantee, too. I think I'll probably need to get an extra pair or two just because I, again, I'll lose them in the house and I'll find them a few days later. But, uh, in my, in my environment, I got to sometimes get moving pretty quick and I can't, can't wait to uh, find my glasses. You know? And the, and the partnership with, uh, industries for the blind is awesome. So, you know, every, every pair we buy, um, in partnership with industries for the blind. So that's, you know, that's a facility, 70% blind and vision impaired workers, uh, that help produce them, which has been great, great as well. Yeah, something else I was kind of interested in too, guys, was if you could go back and tell your 17-year-old self, uh, maybe give yourself a roadmap of things to do or not to do uh, through your vision loss, just life, and then the the whole uh, business enterprise, uh, what, what do you think you'd tell yourselves? You know, Brian and I are really lucky because I feel like we've lived a uh, a wandering journey with our eye condition. I mean, getting diagnosed at seven years old, uh, was, had, had tons and tons of tough moments associated with it. And, and now we literally label ourselves, you know, two, two blind brothers. And, um, I think some of the valuable things that didn't occur to us immediately in the moment that but that we really appreciate now is number one as we said earlier you need to embrace those challenges and those tough moments because it is actually through those tough moments that you access your creativity your resourcefulness your assertiveness your resilience you know as an example you know if we couldn't see the board in first grade we'd have to walk up to it to see what the teacher wrote. And at the first moment that might feel isolating, you might feel different, but now fast forward 10 years into the future, 20 years in the future, maybe now you're extremely comfortable taking on social pressure or getting up in front of a group of people because you were doing it since the age of six. It may not have felt like that at the time, but that's what happens when you are put under pressure is that you adapt and there's no growth without friction like that. You know, I think we learned valuable lessons too about authenticity. Um, it sort of relates to that where, you know, you can't fix or help or change those things about you unless you can sort of display them honestly and, and then bump up against reality and figure out how to deal with them. Um, and, and I think, I think what we what we've learned is that this moment in time with the digital age, with social media, uh, if you have something that is really personal or you have a fascination with, you can now scale that and find the community that cares about what you're doing. That That's what happened with us with Two Blind Brothers. We never had aspirations. We didn't go into a business that we thought, you know, we were going to grow into the number of customers or the profitability we have with it. We just wanted to do something that we thought was fun and passionate, but because of the age we're living in, we were able to connect. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a good lesson, you know, for anybody that wants to explore 
something that they're passionate about because there's so much ripe op- opportunity out there. Okay, well said. And uh, I think that's a whole podcast episode in itself. So maybe maybe we'll uh, circle back uh, in a few months and uh, get into some more of the psychological stuff just about, uh, yeah, growing up with vision loss and taking those chances and and being bold enough to really get things done on your own and, and, and in some cases learning the hard way, which really makes things easier in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I... It's it's it feels a little oxymoronic, right? That 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 something hard today, but think about exercise or diet. You know, for for most people, it sucks today to not pick up the pizza. But you know, and when you're feeling good, looking good, and doing all of that, it, it it's awesome. And with this, with a degenerative eye disease or any degenerative condition, it actually is really fascinating because every day is a little different. You, you solve one problem and a new one shows up the next day. You know, you might get over the, you know, some of the academic stuff with some tools, but now you're in college and you have to deal with social problems. And then you graduate and then you have to navigate the working world. And it's just these constant challenges that are just putting you through a crucible that make you better every single time. So when you, in all these little challenges, so when you hit the big one, something that really could knock you down, that knocks a lot of other people down, you've conquered so much already that you say, Oh, you know what? I've beaten a lot of stuff. I can beat this too. I can keep going. And so I'm a just, we're such a big proponent of, you know, embrace those challenges go after them, seek them out. Because if you don't find something, if you don't find a challenge, a challenge will find you and it'll probably be more difficult than you really want it to be. Yeah, it absolutely will. Guys, I love the message. I love the clothes. I love the glasses. And I may, I will endorse the uh, shot blind challenge. I think it's tremendous. And I really love what you guys are doing. So it's uh, twoblindbrothers.com. We encourage everybody to go shot blind, right? Absolutely. Come to twoblindbrothers.com. Okay, guys, thanks a bunch for joining and hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind Podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.